Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Welcome back to another episode of Go Forth and Golf. I am your host, Steve Goforth, PGA professional at Willow Creek Golf Club. And man, am I excited about bringing you this episode. I've got some really cool topics for episode four. I'm going to talk about how to pick the right putter for you. Have you ever been to a golf shop? You look down at the putter and it's like, what in the world is going on here? It's got different neck styles to it. I have absolutely no idea which one is best for me. You're going to find that out today when you listen to what I have to say about different designs that come along with the putter neck. So I think it's going to be really helpful. And I'm going to clear up all the confusion and help you pick out the putter that's best for you and your putting stroke. And I can't wait to bring that to you. Also, I'm taking your listener questions again. I have some really good ones again for this episode. And I do a fascinating interview with the owner of Orange Whip. Orange Whip is a great training aid out there for everyone to try. It will definitely make your game a whole lot better. So you don't want to miss out on the great things that Jim Hackenberg has to say about Orange Whip Golf. Are you ready? I know I am. Let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. Are you playing with the right putter for your putting stroke? That's a question a lot of people, they're not sure of. They see a putter in the store, they look at it and say, wow, that thing looks nice, or I think I can putt well with this, or I saw somebody else playing this on tour, or my buddy's playing with this putter, and I think this is the right one for me as well. But you really have absolutely no clue what you're looking at. You have no clue what the differences are between a mallet and a blade, and the offset and the putter face balance, toe hang, straight back, straight through, arc style, all these things that that go into putter fitting. When putting a putter in the hands of a golfer that will help them drain more putts. What I'm gonna recommend to you is, is when listening to this, make some notes. You can always go back and listen to this as many times as you need to. Pull out your phone right now, go to your notes section on your phone, and type out some things that I'm about to say. But it's really important that you walk away from this understanding everything I'm going to explain so that it will not only help you play with the best putter for you, but also to help you make more putts and to lower your scores, right? That's what we all want here. We want to sink those putts and walk out of there with a lot more birdies. So stay with me and listen to this as many times as you need to. When I planned this segment, I decided to be as thorough as possible instead of being too vague and leaving you with more questions and answers. So again, the beauty of listening to podcasts is you can go back and rewind and listen as much as you want. So please, please do that if you're not picking up on everything that I'm about to explain. Now my expertise in this area comes from the many years of experience I have in club and putter fittings. When I was working for Slazinger Golf back in the late 90s, we revolutionized putter fitting and it was extremely advanced during that time. We had players such as Jack Nicholas and Payne Stewart playing our putters because they were that good and, and they were that precise. Uh, many of our putter fitting philosophies are still used today. Later on, when I went on to be a club fitter with the Eagles on, I used everything that I'm about to share with you today to determine the best putter for our golfers. And the success rate was through the roof on that. So I'm I'm really excited about bringing this to you and sharing this with you. Uh, When this whole podcasting idea came to my mind and I I wanted to do this, this was one of the things I wanted to be able to share with people. Some of my knowledge and my experience 
and and help you to not only play better with your golf swing, but also with your equipment. So I'm going to explain which putter style may be best for you and the difference between face balanced and toe hang or toe weighted, which putter neck style will be better for you and your putting stroke and the importance of left and right eye dominance and how that's going to affect which putter you should be using. So it's really cool stuff when you start diving into eye dominance. And again, I'm going to explain that a little bit later. So let's dive into the two different styles of putters. Your two main styles of putters are either a blade or a mallet. Blades can be classified as a traditional blade, which is sort of like your ping answer, and then they have wider blades. Mallets can be classified as like a mid mallet or a full size mallet. Full size mallet would be something like a, a tailor made spider putter, for example. So there's a link in the show description that will take you to the Golf Digest hot list for both blades and mallets. And you can see pictures of all the newest putters on the market. So make sure, again, you go check that out in the show details or show description. And those links are in there. It takes you precisely to blades and precisely to mallets. You can also stop by Golf Galaxy here in Greenville and see my son Nick go forth for advice. Nick helped me tremendously with this segment. Thank you, Nick, very much for all your help. He's helped hundreds of golfers choose the best putter for their putting stroke. And Or if you're listening to this and you're not in this area... Go visit your nearest golf store and speak with an expert in putter fitting. You can also go see your local PGA professional if you're not able to come see me at Willow Creek to help with this as well. Determining if you're going to play with a blade or a mallet is not only dependent upon your putting stroke, but also to the eye. Some people look at a mallet and think it looks too awkward and vice versa with the blade style. So determine which one is best for you, what's best suited for your eye, whether it's a blade or a mallet, because how the putter looks is equally as important as which one is fitted to your type of putting stroke. For example, I'm partial to mallets. There's something about a mallet that just makes me seem a little more secure. My putting stroke, it seems a lot more balanced. You have moment of inertia, MOI. You probably heard that terminology. And what that does, it just stabilizes the face. So there's not a lot of twisting and, and movement of the putter face. And that's just something that I prefer to look down at. It gives me a lot more confidence. So how do you determine if a putter is face balanced or if it has toe hang? Well, the simplest thing to do is you're going to pick up a putter and you're going to balance the shaft of the putter close to the neck of the putter itself on two fingers. And so as you balance that, you can see that the face will be pointing up to the sky and that means it's face balanced. Or when you put it on two fingers and the toe of the putter goes downward, then you know it's a, it has toe hang or it's toe weighted. Some putters that have toe hang are more severe than others. And what that means is that the more severe the toe hang, the more it's going to accommodate an arc style putting stroke or a wider arc style putting stroke. So again, face balance, face of the putter points to the sky. Toe hang means the toe's dropping when you try to balance that on your finger. So once you determine that, it's important to know if you're a straight back, straight through putter or if you're an arc style putting stroke. If you're not sure, Set up a time to come see me and we can determine that. Also, if you go see Nick at Golf Galaxy, he can watch you roll a few putts and determine if you're a straight back, straight through, or an arc style putting stroke. Really important that you understand that. And some of you that are listening to this, you may know that already. You may know, hey, I like going straight back, straight through, or no, I like to have a little bit of arc on my putting stroke like Tiger Woods. Doesn't matter. Neither one is wrong. So straight back, straight through is going to be better with a face balance putter, arc style, 
is going to be better with toe hangs. So if you know right away which style you are, that answers your question as to toe hang or face balance. So let's dive into the different neck styles that you're going to see on a blade or on a mallet style putter. I'm going to cover the four most common neck styles that you're going to see on a putter. The first of which is a center shafted. A center shafted putter is a shaft that has no bend in the shaft. It's usually going straight into the middle of the putter head. And they are always face balanced. And again, face balance is going to be more useful for a straight back, straight through putting style. That is me. I putt with a center shafted putter going straight into the middle of the head because I am right eye dominant. That's something I'm going to jump into and explain here in just a little bit. So center shafted is typically going straight into the center of the head. And you usually see that on a mallet style. Every now and again, you may see that in a blade style. But most commonly, it's going to be on a mallet style putter head. The next neck style I'm going to explain is what's called a plumber's neck. On a plumber's neck, the shaft goes down into a hosel that's on the putter. Then it goes over 90 degrees and then down again. That is called a plumber's neck. You usually see a plumber's neck on a blade putter or the mid-mallet. Mid-mallet, again, is a smaller mallet style. For those of you that have a putting stroke that is a combination of an arc or a straight back straight through, a traditional plumber's neck will get the job done for you. Plumber's neck designs typically feature about half of a toe hang, which isn't very severe. It's very slight toe hang, so you can get away with being a straight back straight through putting style because it has such mild toe hang to it. Plumber's neck is something that Tiger plays. Look at Tiger's putter, and you'll see what I'm talking about with a plumber's neck. The third hosel that I'm going to cover is called a short hosel. Sometimes it's also described as a slant neck. In a short hosel or a slant neck, you see those mainly in mallets or your wider blades. So if your stroke has that arc style shape to it, and let me explain that arc style because I've referred to that several times already. I'm assuming you know what an arc style is. An arc style is if your putter is moving inside the line and then back to square and then inside the line again. So it's a little bit of an arc, kind of like a door opening and closing. If you have an arc style putting stroke, you should look for a putter with a short flowing hosel or that slant neck. That's also an option. Going back to what I said earlier about the plumber's neck, that can also be an option for you if you have an arc style putting stroke. But let me make sure I emphasize if it's a greater degree of an arc, if it's a wider arc or more severe arc, the short hosel is definitely going to be the putter that you want to go with. The last neck design I want to cover is the double bend hosel. The double bend hosel is going to be found in mallets and sometimes in a blade. Mainly you're going to see it in a mallet. For players who like to take the putter straight back, straight through, a double bend shaft is inserted directly into the head is a great option. This configuration provides face balancing and very little rotation throughout the putting stroke. So going back to determine if you're a straight back, straight through putter, if you are, go with a double bend. 
And again, typically you're going to see that in a mallet and sometimes you'll see it in the blade. The double bend neck is extremely popular. It's, it's something that most golfers will see in their putters. That one and the plumber's neck. I would have to say those are the two most common neck styles that you'll see in putters. So you got center shaft, plumber's neck, short hosel, sometimes called slant neck, and then your double bend. Those are your four main neck styles that you'll see in a putter. One other addition to that, a fifth one if you will, is that single bend. You'll mainly see a single bend in Scotty Cameron putter. So if you're a Scotty Cameron fan, be mindful of the single bend. Remember, center shafted, that's for more of a straight back, straight through. Plumber's neck, that can be both for straight back, straight through, or an arc style. Short hosel, that's more for an arc style. And then your double bend is typically for someone going straight back and straight through. Now, that doesn't mean that you've got to pick one or the other if you're straight back, straight through, or an arc style putting stroke. You can try it. It's just you're going to be a lot more successful with what I've recommended to you based on the characteristics of these putters and how they're built, how they're designed to fit a particular putting stroke. The last thing I want to talk to you about is eye dominance. How do you figure out which eye is your dominant eye when you're making a putting stroke? One way is if you've shot a gun or a bow and arrow, whatever eye you'd leave open, that's typically going to be your dominant eye. Another easy way to figure this out is to make a circle with your hand, find an object and put it inside your circle with both eyes open. If you close your right eye and it moves, that means your right eye dominant. If you close your left eye and that object moves, it means your left eye dominant. So Again, find an object, make a circle with your hand, find an object, put it in the center of that circle with both eyes open. Whichever eye you close and the object moves, that is your dominant eye. So that's going to make a huge difference in what style hosel that you go with. So if putting right-handed and your right eye dominant, then you're what we call a rear eye dominant golfer because the eye that is furthest from the cup is your dominant eye. Golfers who are rear eye dominant tend to miss aim their putts to the right when they're using a standard offset putter. Let me give you an example of that. I'm a right eye dominant golfer. So if you put a plumber's neck in my hand or a double bend in my hand, I'm typically going to misalign the putt to the right of the cup. So the offset nature of the putter is going to really confuse the dominant right eye causing the faulty aim. If you're a left eye dominant, you need to go with something that has more offset to it, like the plumber's neck, like the double bend. If you're left eye dominant, like Jack Nicholas, like Tiger Woods, then the offset style putter is great for you, and your ability to aim is usually a whole lot better than the rear eye dominant player trying to use an offset putter. So again, let me explain that one more time. Your right eye dominant, you need to go with something with less offset. You have a tendency of lining it up at the cut better, not so much to the right. If you're left eye dominant, you're better off with a putter that has a little more offset, like the plumber's neck and like the double bend. Really important that you determine your eye dominance. This was something that we did a lot in putter fitting when I was at Slizinger, and it was amazing how well people would line their putts up when they had the correct offset in that putter. We had a laser that we would put down in front of their putter and aim it at a bullseye. And as soon as we'd add offset or take away offset, depending on their eye dominance, that laser would go dead in the center of the bullseye. It was amazing. It was really, really cool. 
So find out what eye dominance you are. That's really going to help in determining what style neck you need to go with. In summary, I have explained to you the two different styles of putters, blade or mallet. I've explained how to identify if a putter is face balanced or if it has toe hang. I explained the differences in straight back, straight through, and arc style putting stroke. I went through the four main neck styles in putters, and then I also talked about how to determine which eye is your dominant eye and how that affects your aim with a putter. I hope all this helps you. Go out, find your inner mojo with your putting stroke, and I hope you make the majority of your putts and you see a tremendous improvement in your putting stroke. Remember, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can shoot me an email, look me up on social media, go see my son Nick at Golf Galaxy. If you're not in this area, go find a local representative at a golf store that can help you or your local PGA professional. If I see you out and about or if I see you at Willow Creek, I'd love to hear you tell me that your putting stroke improved. I look forward to that. Good luck. I am thrilled to answer your questions in this episode. I got another set of great questions that were sent to me, and I can't wait to dive into these. If you have a question of your own, don't forget you can reach out to me via email, sgoforth at pga.com. Again, sgoforth at pga.com. You can also send me a direct message on my Facebook page. It's Goforth Golf Instruction or a personal Facebook page. And uh, when I put the post out there to ask questions, you can also reply to that feed and uh, just certainly ask your questions there. However you choose to do it, I'm honored and I'm uh, thrilled to answer those questions and help you. And I hope I'll help you again this week. So without further ado, let's jump into those questions. The first question comes from Alexis. Hey Steve, I hope you're doing well. I know a lot of us here in the golf community have heard different opinions and thoughts on the new golf schedule for the rest of the season. It's a little bit different than what we're used to, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts and opinions on that topic as well. It's a great question, Alexis. Thank you very much for taking the time to send that to me. You know, it's, it's without a doubt unprecedented. You know, we're seeing a huge change right now. Never in a million years did we ever think we'd see the Masters being played in November. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. But... You start with June the 8th that week, and, I'm, and the dates I'm going to give you uh, on some of these tournaments, it, it starts on that Monday because we, we have practice rounds that take place before the tournament begins on Thursday. But June the 8th to the 14th, you have the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas. Then June 15th to the 21st, you have the RBC Heritage down in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And then June 22nd to the 28th, the Travelers. And July 2nd through the 5th is the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. Those first four that we know of right now, uh, we've been told that they will be uh, there won't be any fans in at those at those tournaments. That in itself would be a little bit strange. So at least we're getting golf, right? At least we're we're getting golf back on TV, and hopefully from there, as we get into July 6th through the 12th of the John Deere Classic, maybe the fans will be allowed back onto the golf course. Can't wait to see the Memorial. That'll be the following week. 
Uh, skip on down to August the 3rd, we've got the PGA Championship. It's kind of back where it, it used to be, so nothing nothing strange about that one. And then uh, we've got the Tour Championship, which will take place at East Lake from August 31st through the 7th. U.S. Open will then be September 14th through the 20th. Ryder Cup the, the very next week, the 22nd through the 27th. And uh, then the Masters, of course, November 9th through the 15th. I'm definitely going down for that one. As a PGA member, I'm very blessed to be able to get into that golf tournament. And uh, I will definitely be there, uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, because I want to be able to experience the Masters in November. It may never happen in November ever again for the rest of my life. So I definitely want to try to make sure I experience that one for sure. But I don't know. I was kind of taken back by the Tour Championship taking place before the U.S. Open and before the Masters. I'm not quite understanding that. It seems like those two tournaments would be vital to get into the Tour Championship. So maybe they're just saying, you know what? Majors aren't going to count towards the Tour Championship. It's whatever you've done up to this point. And then on the tournaments that are going to take place between June and um, the end of August. So... Again, really cool stuff, different. I just can't wait for golf to start back up. That's all I care about. Let's get start. Let's get golf started. Let's let's get back to some sort of sense of normalcy and uh, enjoy it again. So that's my thoughts on it. Again, thank you for the question. I hope you enjoy the tournaments as well. The next question comes from Barry. He asks, how can I consistently hit crisp shots out of the fairway bunker? He goes on to say, I tend to hit the shot fat, and I leave it well short of my target. Fantastic question. I think we've all been uh, guilty of hitting a heavier shot than we wanted to out of a fairway bunker. A lot of it comes down to your setup. And, and, I, and I talk about this with a greenside bunker as well. You know, It's all about the setup position. First and foremost, before you walk into the bunker, and I've said this before as well, make sure you have a positive attitude before you go in there. Don't be angry because you hit the ball in the bunker uh, from your tee shot or from your second shot. Always go in there with the most positive outlook you possibly can. It's not about getting it out of the bunker. It's how well are you going to get it out of the bunker. And don't dwell on the fact that you're, that you're there in the first place. I don't want you to get upset and, and because that's going to affect how you hit this next shot. So again, try to have a positive attitude. Let's start with the feet. So once you walk into that bunker, I want you to get set up to the golf ball. I want you to dig your feet slightly to establish a solid foundation. This is going to help you with balance so that when you create that elongated wide swing that we need to do here with this shot, you'll have the balance that you need. I want you to next grip down on it, make the club a little bit shorter. This is going to balance out you digging your feet into the sand because when you dig your feet a little bit, obviously you're sinking down a little bit more. So grip it a little bit shorter or choke down on it. This will also help you pick the ball, which is what we're going to try to do here or achieve somewhat is a pick of the ball out of the bunker instead of hitting down into it too much. Next, I want you to position the ball one ball back of where you normally position it. Let me give you an example on that. If you have a seven iron in your hand, you typically position the seven iron one ball forward of center. So in this case, you'd position it in the middle. So always position the ball one ball back of wherever you normally would position that. This is just going to help you achieve better contact. Next, and this is probably the most important thing as far as hitting a fairway bunker shot, I want you to stand a little bit taller. I don't want you to bend from the waist quite as much because by standing slightly taller, this is also going to keep you from hitting it heavier. And again, that's the last thing we want to do. We want to try to pick this thing as clean as we possibly can so stand slightly taller. Now, that could be 
not bending so much from the waist or not bending your knees as much or a combination of the two. But that again, that is one of the key things here with that shot. Don't forget that. Next thing you want to do is take a wider takeaway and this is going to produce just a shallower swing. So really stretch those arms out whenever you make your takeaway. This will help it to come in, help the golf club to come in a lot more shallow at impact. And then the last thing you want to do is just look at the back of the ball. That's your contact point. When you're a greenside bunker, you typically look at the spot you're trying to hit in the sand. Here, we're trying to hit the back of the ball. So focus your attention on that. So again, going back to review, dig the feet slightly. I want you to grip down on the golf club. Position the ball one ball back of center. Stand slightly taller. Create that long, wide takeaway. And look at the back of the ball. I think what would help you a lot is if you can listen to this, this tip that I'm giving you, put some earbuds in, go into a fairway bunker, and then practice that as you're listening to me talk this back to you again. That can really help you a lot. Barry, I hope that helps you. Next time I see you, let me know how you did. I hope that you hit that shot out of the fairway bunker about two feet from the pin and make your birdie. The next question is from Steven. Not me, different Steven, but he brought me a wonderful question something that i think we've all experienced and um and we just don't know what to do when we get in this situation he says i've been really struggling recently with having a good round going and then blowing up on the last few holes do you have any specific tips to help me close out a good round coming down the stretch steven i think there's a lot of things that play into that uh, number one stick to your routine so go to your pre-shot routine. This will help prevent a bad shot, or if it doesn't prevent it, going to your routine will help you stop the bleeding, so to speak. It'll help prevent further mistakes, thus resulting in a blow-up. So going to a pre-shot routine or sticking to a pre-shot routine really keeps you focused, and it helps eliminate any mistakes that could occur because of nerves. Deep breaths. Deep breaths help a lot. This will release any tension that you're having. A deep breath is the body's way of telling the brain that, hey, everything's okay down here. Everything's cool. Just focus. So deep breaths really help a lot. That has helped me down the stretch on many occasions. Next thing to think about is just keep it simple. Keep it simple. If you feel your blow-up is starting, make some simple club selections and shot selections that will keep your ball in play. An example of that is take a three-wood off the tee instead of a driver, or maybe it's a hybrid or a long iron off the tee. Uh, maybe it's that, hey, you know, I'm going to play my best club twice. I'm going to hit a seven iron, a seven iron again. Just whatever you need to do, keep it simple and just keep the ball in play. If the ball goes out of play, just get the ball back in as best you can. Make a, a good choice to, hey, I'm going to pitch out of the bunker instead of trying to go for the green, or I'm going to make a more conservative punch out to, back to the fairway instead of trying to get a little bit more out of it and uh, punch it through the trees a little further than it catches a tree and, and kicks it back to you. So just try to get the ball back in play as best you can. You also want to just identify what's going wrong. And, and, and when you're blowing up, what's, what's happening? Are you hitting bad drives? Did you duff a chip shot? Are you three putting? Are you going long or short on your approach shot? So really try to identify what happened during that blow up. And once you've identified that, and you've identified the pattern that you're seeing, then you can attack it. You can go to the driving range. It's like if we get sick, right? We attack that with a particular type of medicine. So we got to figure out why are we sick? And then once we know why we're sick, then we know the right medicine to take to make it better. So why are we blowing up? 
what are we doing, what kind of shots, bad shots are we creating or hitting, and then you'll know how to go back and fix that. The biggest thing, Stephen, is just don't give up. Don't give up. Golf, I know, can be a frustrating game, and it's easy just to quit on a hole after a bad shot or even two shots. So just resist that urge to give up. As long as you're still in the hole, give it 100% focus and 100% effort. Stay calm. Remember, go back to the breathing and concentrate. By doing that, you may take that bogey and turn it into a par. You're, you're staring bogey in the face, and the next thing you know, you may chip it in for par and save it and get out of there. You may take that double bogey and turn that into a bogey. At the end of the day, a stroke here or a stroke there, that can make a huge difference and, and prevent that blow-up that you're seeing. So I hope these help you. Stick to your routine. Take deep breaths. Keep it simple. Do your best to keep the ball in play, and if it does go out of play, be smart and just get back in play as quickly as you can. Identify those blow-ups and how those blow-ups are happening, and don't give up. Next time I see you, Stephen, let me know if this has helped you. That is a wrap on the questions for this episode. Remember, if you have a question of your own, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can email it to me at sgoforth at pga.com. Shoot me a direct message on Facebook. You can reply to the post that I'm going to put out there that's asking for questions. Or if you see me in the golf shop, ask me a question. I'll make sure I put it in the next episode. As I like to say, together, we're going to go forth to a better golf game. Just tap it in. Tap it in. Give it a little tappy. Tap, tap, tap a room. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. If you want to take control of your health and feel so much better, I encourage you to check out Pure on Main. They have two locations on Main Street in downtown Greenville across from the Hyatt and another location on Main Street in Simpsonville. Pure on Main provides you with essential services and products allowing you to live a healthier, more fulfilling life. Pure on Main is also one of the most exclusive and unique health and wellness centers in the upstate. They've been nominated as one of Greenville's best wellness centers for four consecutive years. Betsy and her staff provide services such as colon hydrotherapy, massage therapy, ionic foot detox, and wellness consulting. They also have a store filled with beneficial items for your body and soul. Pure on Main is dedicated to helping and serving their community. Please give them a call and let them recommend the best products to help keep you and your family healthy and safe during these challenging times. I get all of my wellness supplements from them and I feel amazing. Visit their website at pureonmain.com. Again, that's pureonmain.com where you can purchase their phenomenal products to be shipped for free. Yeah, you heard me right. Free right to your door or picked up curbside at their downtown Greenville location. So what are you waiting for? Start living healthier and pure with the help of Pure on Main. You won't regret it. It's now time for the interview section of the show, and I'm really excited about my guest today, Jim Hackenberg. Jim is the owner and creator of Orange Whip. If you have not heard of Orange Whip, you're about to find out what it's all about. It's one of the best golf training aids out there on the market. Jim started this company from the ground up back in the late 2000, around 2008-2009 time frame. He's from the upstate of South Carolina, Easley in particular. So we're really proud that uh, he has built this company right here in our backyard. 
If you want to learn more about Orange Whip and how it can improve your golf game, I encourage you to visit their website. It's orangewhipgolf.com. Again, that's orangewhipgolf.com. Or you can go to the link that I'll have in the show description to give you a quicker access. Tremendous training aids. I cannot explain that enough. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Jim Hackenberg. Jim, welcome to the podcast. I greatly appreciate your time today. How are you? Steve, I'm great. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm doing great. It's a nice sunny day, and uh, I'm looking to maybe play some golf later this afternoon. There you go. There you go. That got, definitely got to take advantage of these, uh, these sunny days while we have them. It's beautiful outside. Yep, absolutely. Before we discuss the training aids and the <laughs> services provided by Orange Whip, tell me how you came up with the idea to start this very successful company. So when I was a younger man, I, I tried to make it playing the mini tours and ideally getting up to the big tour. Now, I did not make it, but along the way, I, I watched a lot of people, how they develop their games and their work ethics. And it basically it led me to becoming a teacher because watching all these guys practice and work on their game and work on a lot of technical issues, that's kind of how they uh, were trying to push their game forward. And I would be included in that. So. I took that ability, those, those, basically those behaviors I learned from the mini tour days and brought it to my teaching. Now the drawback is, is I was teaching some very technical issues and concepts to golfers who are just your everyday golfers that wanted to have fun. They want to, they just want to get it around the course. They weren't nearly as technical as I was. So I probably was hurting as many golfers as I was helping when I was teaching because I was just much too technical. So I got into this mode of teaching that way. I go, is this really a, a great way to, to help your average golfer? And I, I couldn't really come to a conclusion on that. Well, then what happened was a good friend of mine who we were playing the mini tours together, he got onto the nationwide tour. He played a full season out there. He ended up being the leading money winner in 2002, and he won three events that year. So he got a late in the year battlefield promotion. And then he had called me and asked if I wanted to caddy for him on the PGA tour. So I, uh, in the late fall of Oh two, I caddied one event for him, the Viking classic in Mississippi. And then I started the tour with him in 2003. So being out on tour, watching the best players every day, hit balls and practice, you start to pick up information and ideas. And originally, I was really putting the idea of technical at, in the forefront, especially because the guy I was caddying for was very technical, and he was always working on something in his golf swing. Yeah. But the, pro but the problem was he had such a uh, strong grip. If you kind of imagine Paul Azinger or somebody with a really strong grip, this is what my, uh, my buddy Patrick Moore had. Uh -huh. And he, uh, he would always be changing his swing. And then I started thinking, man, this is a lot of work. So I started to watch guys like Jeff Ogilvy and Ernie Els and Retief Goosen and all these guys with beautiful rhythm. And I started thinking, you know, it doesn't look like they're controlling the club as much as we are, or they're not trying to control all that. So I started thinking, maybe it's not about control of every in, you know, moment of the golf swing. Maybe it's a rhythm. Maybe it's a, a swinging motion. So I started seeing the golf club going from positions into a different concept and I call it the ball and chain. So if you were to swing a ball on the end of a chain and swing it back and forth, you would have to learn to coordinate your footwork with your body motion, with your hands and arms. And that requires rhythm and balance. 
So I went from being a very complicated golfer to a very simple-minded golfer and allowing the, the, the motion to take over and take precedence over what I was trying to do. So I developed a concept of swinging the ball and chain, and I used it in my own game, and I tried to also share it with my students when I was doing some teaching on the side. The problem was they weren't really comprehending what I was talking about. So I had to find something or make something that they could feel rather than just process. So I, I just threw a lot of tinkering around. I, uh, I came up with a, a thing that replicated this ball and chain, but it wasn't a chain. It was more of a, a fishing rod that had a lot of flex and a lot of feel to it that ended up being the, uh, the concept. So it really became a tool that conveyed a message of how to make the golf swing simple and athletic. So out of curiosity, where did the orange theme come from? So I knew it would be a ball on the end of the stick because when I was teaching, the, the more I would talk about the club face positions, the more complicated it got during the lesson and the more tense my students got. Because the more people try to keep that blade square, the more difficult it becomes to do. So I knew it had to be a ball on the end of this fiberglass stick. So I knew it had to be a vibrant color as well because when you swing it in front of you back and forth, it almost can form a tracer path and you can almost see the direction of the momentum you're swinging. So I chose orange for a couple reasons, but the main is a vibrant, bold color, but it, it, it about, it's actually about the same weight and size of an actual orange. So that kind of fit in, but where the name came from was I was watching the Blues Brothers movie one evening, just at this time when I was developing this device, and late in the show, John, Candy was about to arrest the Blues Brothers, and he, he, uh, they're basically ordering a drink, waiting for the, the Blues Brothers to take the stage, and uh, he points to uh, his cohorts, the, uh, the other police officers, and points at one, he goes, orange whip, points to the other one, orange whip, and then to the waitress, three orange whips. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. So it's just like uh. a frothy drink. Yeah, <laughs> it's a funny scene. You can find it on YouTube by just Googling. Blues Brothers Orange Whip, and it's like a 12, 15 second long skit. And uh, it's a lot of fun because it's like, that's perfect because orange is a great color. I'm a big fan of it. And it's a whipping motion. And that's what I'm trying to get away from tension and trying to let it be athletic and a whipping motion. So I thought Orange Whip is the perfect name. So from that moment, I knew it was going to be called Orange Whip, and I never looked back from that. Oh, very cool. That's a very cool story. So the original and most uh, successful training aid, of course, is the original Orange Whip. How can, this how can this training aid help golfers, especially those that may have seen it and they just can't quite figure it out or maybe have not even seen it at all? So as an instructor, the thing that I struggled the most with while teaching was my students were so bound and determined to hit the ball. They just want to make sure they hit the ball. And hitting something rather than swinging through something are completely different motions. Mm -hmm. And until we can get a person to understand the swinging through rather than the hitting at, it, that's, when, that's when the light bulb goes off for the players. So when you try to hit at something, it tends to be more of a chop, a chopping down motion or an over-the-top hit, which leads to the weak slice. And I just couldn't get my students past that. So I wanted to have them learn how to swing. So hence, going back to the orange ball again, instead of putting a club head there where they could hit a ball, they just had a heavy orange ball on the end of the stick that they had to learn how to swing. 
And once they learn how to swing back and forth in rhythm and letting their natural ability take over, that's when their light bulb would go off and they go, oh, so this is what a golf swing should feel like. So then it was a, a transition from swinging with the orange whip, loosening up, finding your rhythm, and then taking a golf club and swinging it back and forth like it is an orange whip until they replicate that same feeling and motion. And then we go to the process of putting a golf ball in front of them and encouraging them to make the same swing rather than going back to the hit instinct. So it, it was really just a way to get students to learn how to swing rather than hit. And it's surprisingly, everybody has athletic ability. It's just how do we bring it out of them? And that's what the Orange Whip does. It brings out their natural athletic ability. It improves their natural rhythm, their natural balance. And the more they use it, it, the better benefits they get. So it's one of those things. You could use it once a week or you could use it five times a day. If you use it five times a day, you're going to improve faster and your abilities will become more intuitive rather than where you're thinking about everything. It, it kind of takes the thought away. Oh, those are fantastic points. I tell my, ironically, I tell my students all the time, you want to just focus on making that balanced and rhythmic swing rather than hitting the ball. I tell my students just make a balanced swing and let the golf ball get in the way of that swing. And that's really all you want to do. And, and what, you're, what the Orange Whip is promoting is that exact same thing. That's wonderful. Exactly. And the nice thing is, is probably maybe eight, nine years ago at the PGA show, <clears throat> I had a group of uh, people come over and they're part of the American Blind Golfers Association. And they go, you know, we've been using this orange whip. We love it. We can really get this sensation, this feeling. And since then, we've become a good supporter of their group and been involved. And we've donated a lot of orange whips to this group. But what I liked the best was, is it, it exactly proves you don't need to see something to hit it. It just needs to be in the path of where you're swinging. So I've always thought that was neat that a person can learn to swing. And as long as they're positioned properly, the club will take it away when you swing athletically. So that's been a really satisfying um, group for us to work with. Oh, absolutely. You offer other versions of the orange whip. Talk to me about the other variations and uh, what are their purpose? So <clears throat> as we know, there's different uh, golfers with different heights and, and abilities. So we basically went from our longest version, the Orange Whip Trainer, which to you and I is more like a driver. It's a, even probably a little bit longer than a driver. Mm -hmm. But then we knew we had to, to make one that was a little more realistic for, let's say, a shorter golfer or a less skilled golfer. So we make, basically made the exact same thing, but four inches shorter. So we cut off four inches of the fiberglass. So now we've got the Orange Whip midsize. So for you and I, that's like a long iron or a hybrid. And, uh, but a lot of golfers, it's their driver. And we then went another step below. We went what we call the orange whip compact. So it's much shorter again. It's more like a short iron or a wedge type of a swinging motion, but it's beautiful for swinging indoors because good and bad. One of the problems with the orange whip trainer is we have a lot of golfers from Northern climates who use it. And we've had some kind of funny stories, although I feel bad, but they've broken some lamps and some chandeliers and some other <laughs> things by swinging indoors. So we thought we better have a more compact version. And that's what we called our shortest one so that they could swing it indoors or when they travel in the hotel rooms and that. So different sizes for different length clubs or different abilities of players. But then we've also now gone into the short game because uh, we're trying to get the full workout of the whole golf game. And we've taken the orange rip shaft and the, and the patented counterbalance system and we put a putter head on one of them and we put a wedge head on the other. 
Now, these are clubs that you would hit balls with. There is a club head on them, and you, you would hit shots with them. But it goes exactly to the, to the rhythm and balance and timing. It allows a person to feel that on even the smallest of shots. Because even on a putt, there's a load to the energy and an unloading of that energy. And as you progress into a fuller swing, it's just more loading and unloading. But the concept is exactly the same. So it allows a person to bring this beautiful rhythm and balance to every aspect of their game, not just their driver. So you have an orange whip wedge and you have an orange whip putter blade. Yep. And the putter blade is right. We've tried everything I do, every drill that we promote, we try to have people do it right and left-handed. I'm a big promoter of, of balancing out the body when you're, when you're training, when you're exercising, when you're working on your golf swing. And this really stems from TPI heavily promoted this to me when I first began saying, you know, Jimmy, we, we really believe you should be promoting left and right swings. And I, and I couldn't agree more. But it goes back to my caddy days when with Patrick Moore. Patrick had a very strong grip. And he had to hang on tight at impact, otherwise he'd hook the ball 30 yards. So when you, when you hang on tight or, or, or basically withhold the release, it's almost like working out the left arm of your body and not the right. And he, he basically got a if – you, if you saw both of his forearms, his left forearm is probably twice as big as his right. His left trap muscle is twice as big as his – it looks like a bodybuilder, and the right side looks normal. Uh-huh. So he got an uneven balance to his body, and he eventually what knocked him off the tour was uh, he had a bulging disc in his neck that was all because of the imbalance there. So I'm a heavy promoter of balance out your body, do the drills right and left-handed so that a person can be just more in sync and more more athletic and natural because I just – you'd hate to see somebody build up the wrong way. So we've made everything right and left-handed, and that putter – is got you can hit it as a righty or as a lefty. We just want to accommodate both sides. Let's talk about the orange peel training aid. I think this is a very versatile training aid. I love how it gives you uh, different variations of slope, uh, uphill, downhill, side heel. Explain the many ways it can help golfers improve. So, in my game, even though I, I stopped trying to play competitive, I mean, I still play in our Carolinas PGA events, but. I still want to get better every day. I'm 52 years old and I, I want to be better than I was when I was 25. So I'm still always working on my game. My dilemma was I used to slide into impact and I would tend to kind of hang on a little bit and block it or I'd lose a little power. And I was like, well, I wonder what I can do so I don't slide as much and I rotate through impact. I was looking at a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It's called Vitruvian Man. And it's just a big circle and there's a guy in there and he's got two sets of arms and legs and every doctor's office in America uses this as their logo. And it's just a basically, it shows a person standing inside of a sphere. And I thought, wow, if I could stand inside of a bubble and swing a golf club with my feet tilted in a bit, I would have a much easier time rotating and using my footwork to create power and rotation without sliding way off the ball. So I thought, well, how can I make this without making a whole big bubble or a sphere? So I made a platform that's about the size of a boogie board. It's uh, about 44 inches by 24 inches. And it's, when you set it on the ground, it's stable, but it's got a concave surface, which the same radius as a, uh, or diameter of a nine foot sphere. So basically you're standing at the bottom of a bubble and it centers your core. And when you swing with an orange whip or a golf club or a baseball bat for that matter, it's much easier to use your footwork and your hips and, and, the, and, the, um, and the way the body can rotate 
while in this sphere. So it was really to, to train centeredness and, and power without sliding all over. What came next was the repositioning of the feet that you had mentioned, where if I move to the left, I can create an uphill lie. If I move to the right, I create a downhill lie. If I move backward on it, I can create a ball below my feet side hill lie, and then a ball above my feet side hill lie. Now, why this is crucial is every golfer practices on, a, on the driving range, and it's a dead flat, perfect lie every time. When they get to the course, there's hills and terrain, uphill, downhill, side hill, that they lose their balance almost every time when in, un in an uncomfortable situation. By training on the orange peel, you will then learn how to stay balanced throughout this uneven lie situation, and they'll get to a lot more consistent. So it's something they can do in their home, their garage, or their office, just to, to improve their balance in unusual situations. Well, you know, I... Uh... That's something I've battled with in the past and, and actually do a little bit now. Being tall like I am, my tendency is to slide through impact more so than turn, especially if I start getting tired, you you just don't rotate soon enough. And uh, again, exactly. me being tall like that, it's just, it's just something I've always had a tendency of struggling with. So that's fantastic information. Did not realize that. I'm definitely <laughs> going to be using that. Yeah, no, I think I think the peel has got a huge future, not just with golf, but baseball and uh, any rotational sport. It's a, I think it's a big benefit to it. You recently incorporated Golf Fitness X or GFX into your business model. Where did this idea come from and why should golfers consider that? So two years ago, well, probably now even two and a half years ago, we played in the, the our section championship at Hilton Head Island at um, – at, uh, I just blanked on the name of the course, Sea uh, Pines. And uh, I got paired with a gentleman. He's, a, he's the director of golf at uh, Elk River Club in Banner Elk, North Carolina. His name's Brian Newman. He's a PGA professional. And uh, we, we just played it. We got paired together in a practice round and we just started chatting like, hey, Brian, what do you do? And hey, Jim, what do you do? And we started talking. About, I was talking about Orange Whip. And he was, oh, yeah, I know of it. I've seen it around. I haven't used it a lot, but I, I know of it and I, and I like it. And he goes, well, I'm the director of golf and the director of fitness at Elk River Club. And I'd, I'd never met a director of golf and a director of fitness in the same capacity. So I said, well, how did that happen? And he goes, well, I've always been into golf and that's my background and my passion, but I like fitness and fitness is his hobby. So he's trained in CrossFit and Pilates and TPI and all this. And what he's done is he's, in, he's created a, a workout program using resistance bands and and now orange whips to develop skills or, or drills, let's say, that are beneficial to the body and flexibility, but really help in the golf swing. So he had this whole program that he'd been developing, but then when we started talking further and I told him about our orange peel, he goes, well, I'd be curious to see what that's all about. So I sent him one. He then, he loved it, but what he did was he started to hook up resistance bands to it. And he created all these different workout programs and movement patterns using the orange peel with the resistance bands hooked to it and some handles and some other devices to kind of make this, it's almost like a, a golfer's gym that you could uh, utilize all this. So he started experimenting with it. And about a month after we had played together, he drove down to um, easily where we make all of the orange whips and he showed me what he'd been working on. And immediately we go, wow, this is, this is awesome. And it had such a, it was such an improved, uh, let's call it asset to the, to the orange peel because it, it added so much more doing what we can, uh, what we can do to be athletic and, and powerful for golf. So we discussed 
teaming up and creating a program because that's what I probably lacked this, this whole time since I started the Orange Whip. I have a few basic drills and activities I encourage you to do on a regular basis, but I didn't have a program that people who were real passionate would follow. And now we do. So um, we've got this going. We, we fully introduced, introduced it at the January PGA show. And now we're just off and running with it. And it's, it's an interesting program for people to use to either teach classes or just to use daily on their, at, their, at their home to improve their golf and their, and their ball flight. I got to see you guys present at the Carolinas PGA show and, and it was fantastic. Uh, all the different things it could help you with and those bands and, and how you can hook those up to the, to the orange peel and to your body and a uh, huge fan of it from, from watching that. I think you're onto something huge with this thing and it can help so many people. Exactly. And it's, it's, and it's helped physically and, and, and fitness and flexibility, but, I really believe the eye opener at the PGA show was all the instructors and the players that started to recognize what it could do for their golf swing. Like, like there's ways that for you in a perfect example, you and you and I both, if we slide through impact rather than post and rotate on it, there's a belt that you will put on and you can hook up a couple of resistance bands to the belt and then to the peel. So it, it, it either assists in a turn or resists a turn dependent upon what we're trying to do. And there's a way we could get hooked up. So you and I would add impact. We would be rotating through and we would not be able to slide because the resistance would not allow us to. So it's a very, you could specify what it is you want to focus on and really benefit from it that way. I'm all about that. You and I need to hook up on that. <laughs> yep. So are there any other new developments in the works for Orange Whip? Well, we've got it. We feel pretty confident we've got most of the golf game covered in our different sizes of orange whips, and even we have a junior version. And we did introduce what we call the light speed in this last year. And it's just an orange whip, it's counterbalanced, it's got the flexible fiberglass shaft. But instead of a 10 and a half ounce orange ball in the end, we put a basically a two and a half to three ounce orange ball, much smaller. But when you swing it, because it's heavily counterbalanced, it's much easier to load and then unload this way faster. So it's, it's, I don't know much about fast twitch muscles, but what it's allowing a person to do is to find extra speed and to really unload that energy faster. So we encourage people to warm up with the orange whip and then go to the light speed to really develop their speed and their time because it becomes so much faster. So the light speed is our newest development, but on the, on the, on the back burner, although it's, it's, it keeps, it's getting closer to being on the front burner, I've been working on an orange whip baseball bat. And I'm very excited about that because there's timing in baseball as well. And there's, and there's rotation improvements. So I think I'm pretty close on that. And I've got a few connections in the baseball world that uh, once I'm ready, they're, they're ready to go. So I think orange whip baseball will be probably our next move. Oh, that's awesome. So all you baseball fans and uh, have kids that may play baseball, definitely be on the lookout for that. That's a wonderful idea. And, and, the, and the, exactly with kids, that's the beauty of it is you could take a kid, let's say a 14 year old kid, and they could take an orange whip baseball and they could swing it 50 times right handed, 50 times left handed. Even if they're not intending to be a switch hitter, it's going to balance their body out and it's going to train this motion so they learn how to use their feet and body more like an athlete would do it. So it's a, that's where I think the big thing is going to be. I think it's going to really help kids develop this motion and they can do it in the yard and in the home and the garage, wherever they would have space. It's just, it's a way to do this motion over and over. I, I always liken it to the movie, the karate kid. 
you know, yeah. he was painting fences and washing cars. He was basically just doing motions that lead to something else. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. That's right. It's funny you said that. I, uh, I mentioned that to my students a lot about um, doing muscle memory movements. And, and I reference that movie a lot. It's like the Karate Kid. He's, he's basically programming muscle or mind memory through repetitive motion. And then once you've done it enough, you don't need to think about that. You just go to it instinctively. Exactly. And that's my whole goal. Because again, I was an overthinker with golf and most of my students became overthinkers because I was. And I'd, I'd rather go the other way. I'd like it to be very comfortable and relaxing. And so when they're on the course, they're just thinking target and rhythm and balance. And that's, that's about all I really want them thinking about. That's, ex that's exactly right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn more about these fantastic training aids, there are so many helpful tutorial videos that can be found on their website. I encourage you to visit their website at orangewhipgolf.com. Again, that's orangewhipgolf.com. They also have a lot of great endorsements on there uh, from other golfers and celebrities. So go check that out. And Jim, where can they find you on social media? Also, Orange Whip Golf on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. All of those, we try to post quite a bit on there. Some of it's fun, playful stuff. Some of it's informative. Some of it's firsthand uh, uh, results or, or testimonials. So, uh, yeah. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. I cannot thank you enough. Play well if you got to the course today, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. You bet, Steve. I appreciate it. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. That does it for episode four of the Go Forth and Golf podcast. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I enjoyed putting it together for you. And thank you very much for pushing that play button no matter where you are. If you feel I deserve it, go out there and give me a five-star rating. It's greatly appreciated. Subscribe to it. That way you get alerts as to when new episodes drop. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it that you think may be interested in this wonderful game of golf. Let them know about the podcast. It'll help grow it, and I can get more listeners out there. So thank you very much. If you're interested in personal golf lessons, go check out my website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Again, that's GoForthGolfInstruction.com. You'll see a list of my lesson rates on there, my packages that I offer. And also, be sure to come see us at Willow Creek Golf Club. Our greens are in fantastic shape. Get out there, enjoy the golf course, and play the best round of your life. We look forward to seeing you out there. Take care of yourself, and I look forward to interacting with all of you very soon. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, Together, let's go forth to a better golf game.